Now y'all, now y'all are in for double trouble. <laughs> double trouble. Double trouble. All right. Well, for any of y'all, I mean, most of y'all are familiar enough with me. I'm Nathan. I'm the worship guy. For any of y'all who might not know, and you're wondering, who is this curly-haired flip-flop man? <laughs> this is Ethan. Ethan is, if you don't know, our intern, but he's also been coming here for a number of years now, started in high school, uh, and now he's here working, and he's also a part of uh, a group uh, who exists in the shadows uh, called <laughs> Shepherding Council. If you don't know about them, it's um, Adam and David have taken it upon themselves to take some people under their wing, so that would be myself, Ethan, and Jimmy, uh, to go over what it looks like to pastor, to shepherd, those kinds of things, to try to suss out that calling, uh, what that would mean for us, and then to also take part in sermon lab and workshop. And uh, today, the sermon's going to look a little bit different. And as you might gather from the video, we're talking about the wisdom books that Solomon wrote, uh, and that typically, even though Solomon didn't write Job, wisdom literature usually includes Job, but we talked about Job way back at the beginning of the year. Uh, but today, uh, we, we played that video because it's going to be able to summarize all of the themes in Solomon's books together very nicely. Uh, but today, you're in for a little bit more of a doozy because we're going to focus specifically on Ecclesiastes. So you get to listen to the guy in seminary and a philosophy major talk about Ecclesiastes. <laughs> uh, so what, what we're going to do is, I'm, I'm first of all, I should probably open up my Bible. That would be good. Yes. Uh, but what I think to do is I'm just going to throw it out there. To, um, why exactly, why focus on Ecclesiastes? Out of all the choices, why focus on this one? Okay. Yeah, so... Um... I guess the easy way to answer that question is we're going through the whole Bible, um, and this is oh, this upcoming week um, will be our week for Ecclesiastes, I think. And um, but more importantly, the way the reason we're doing it this way is to kind of showcase uh, some of how we do uh, our sermon labs with for every week. Um, we all get on a call on Friday mornings uh, with David or Adam or whoever's going to preach, uh, and we work on it together. Um, and talk about how can we uh, use this message to lead our church in the right way, to see what each of us is, is called to do, um, and how the whole church is, is called uh, to something from the sermon. So when we talk about why Ecclesiastes, um, we could get into several things. Uh, do you have a starting point? I mean, I was just going to say, because it's so different yeah. from all the other books. So Proverbs, yes. it's little pithy wisdom sayings that <laughs> Solomon gives, you know, like, hey, if you do this, then this. And it's, you know, a lot of, you have them on your coffee mugs, on your uh, mouse thing, whatever that's called. Yeah. You know, it's, you got that black border picture with some sort of inspirational picture and like in the white text underneath, it'll be like as iron sharpens iron and yeah. You and pull you, a ton of stuff out of it. Yeah. And people, it's like, it's 31 chapters. So it's really good to do like this month, I'm going to read Proverbs one chapter a day and just yeah. like be that guy. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's, 
it's there and we can always go to it whenever we're in times of need or we need wisdom. But all at the same time, uh, Ecclesiastes takes that wisdom but then approaches it in a very, very grounded way. Yeah. So whenever you see things like, um, you know, this is, this is Father's Day. And so I'm certain that a lot of you all in the room are going to be very acquainted with that phrase of raise up a child in the way they should go. Don't give them snakes. <laughs> yeah, Jesus said don't give them snakes. You know, but it says don't, you know, Proverbs will tell us raise up a child in the way they should go and they will continue to fear the Lord. It's that kind of idea. But all at the same time, uh, we know kind of intuitively in our gut that that's not necessarily a promise. Yeah. Uh, we can try as hard as we might, but sometimes, um, I mean, I was a kid once, kids do dumb things. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's taking Proverbs, you know, it's, it's good, but all at the same time, Ecclesiastes kind of takes, if we take, if it, it kind of takes Proverbs and kind of twists it around in the light like a diamond to try to get everything out of there as possible and it really critiques it and yeah. grounds the book uh, sim- because the, the author kind of comes out the gate swinging uh, whatever he just says, uh, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king of Jerusalem, who's usually thought to be Solomon late in life, right. if not Solomon, just some Israelite king who's yeah. incredibly wise toward the end of some really hard phase of life. What, what's strange about it is, um, well, well, it seems to be Solomon, that son of David phrase can be any of the sons of David, um, specifically like, most importantly, the kings, where it talks about the the gatherer or the teacher. Um, it's someone who was calling to all of Israel and, and leading over them. So uh, traditionally we attribute this to Solomon in his old age, especially when he sees, when he looks at his life in the rear view mirror and says, I messed it up. But the problem with that is Solomon, at least in his story in first Kings, he never seems to turn back. Um, at the end of Solomon's life, we see him as an apostate. Um, who is loyal to many, many gods. And he seems like not the kind of person that would say the things that he says in Ecclesiastes towards the end of his life. But but um, you know, Solomon, more big picture, is understood as the king uh, who had wisdom and had it to the full. Um, we learned about the story in the beginning of his life uh, where he asked God for wisdom where um, God says to him, I'll give you anything you wish for. And he says, you've given me a great kingdom, but I don't know anything. I don't know how to go in or go out. I'm like a little child. Um, I don't know to from Ra. We talked about the good and evil, um, the good and bad. The same thing that's at the tree, the knowing of good and evil. Uh, Solomon says, I don't have that. So what what is really interesting here is is how he sort of calls out here's how it's mostly presented in proverbs and proverbs does do a few things to say it doesn't always work out this way but the main thrust of proverbs really is raise your children right and they'll do right but we see and all of you see in your lives that that doesn't always happen uh, that's what ecclesiastes is here to focus on and to remind us of so much of the way that ancient Jewish people talked about things was in a dialogical format. So if you read, like, Nathan and I, these, like, giant books of 
like the Mishnah and the Talmud, they're like commentaries on the law, but it'll be like, okay, here's this one line about the Sabbath, and here's what 50 different rabbis say about it. And one of them is, um, here's what Rabbi one says about it and here's rabbi two making fun of rabbi one and saying no it's actually this and it doesn't give you like a final answer it just gives you this big list of 50 and says here you go we see the same kind of thing happening in proverbs and ecclesiastes where it's forcing us into this these almost disagreeing stories but it puts them all into the same book and wants us to hold them together and pursue wisdom through that yeah (laughs) and um Sorry, my voice cracked really bad right there. Uh, And the the book comes out the gate swinging. (laughs) It it doesn't hold back, you know, because you end off Proverbs on a nice note. Then the very first thing you read uh, is that the words of the preacher or the teacher or the gatherer, just somebody who's collecting people together for the sake of teaching them something about God's wisdom. The son of David, king in Jerusalem, and he says, vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, everything is vanity. Hevel of hevels. Yeah. And some of your translations might say meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. And that's what they talked about in the video, that what that word is in Hebrew. And Ethan just repeated it. And it's hevel. And hevel can mean meaningless, but it's yeah. a little bit more packed than that. Right. Um, in Hebrew, this, is, this might get um, too complicated. They, they're, most of how the language works is that their vocabulary, their actual words are only three letters long and they only have like 22 letters in the alphabet. So they can't actually make that many different words. So what they had to do in Hebrew most of the time is use words in two or three different ways, depending on if you were talking about actual smoke or if you were talking about what smoke is like. Um, We see this with uh, ruach, Um, talk about in spirit, but it's also the word for wind. So we use this the same way um, to say something about life is like smoke. Uh, that's, that's what we're really getting after here is um, something something Hevel-like about it that, that we almost can't grasp. Yeah, it's, it's very – smoke um, is really the best analogy because mm-hmm. y- you know where it comes from. Yeah. And you know where it goes – yeah. You know, it comes from something burning, and then it just floats up, but then it's just, it, it's gone. What's important is that it looks like something that you can touch. Yeah. That you can grab onto, and then when you do, it just puffs out. And it's, so it's, it's a very fleeting, yeah, just kind of fanciful thing that just kind of <laughs> follows the wind. And it's a strange thing for just the wisest person on earth to take a look at all of life and call life... Smoke. Nothing but smoke, <laughs> equating it to just a puff of smoke. It's worthless. And we see that this this teacher has a reason for thinking that, though, because it says that he tried to pursue everything that life has to offer. Uh, but he gives the very strict qualifier, though, of everything yeah, under, the, under sun. the sun. Good. Like it's... Um, 
and there's a few different ideas of what we mean by that. But as I said in the video, it's the sun under the sun is outside of the garden. Yeah. But we've also talked about that that could be. Um, how did you say it? Well, it's everything under the sun is everything under the heavens. Yeah. And they understood that God is in the heavens. So what? How do I look for meaning in life from everything that's not from heaven? Mm -hmm. And that's really what this person, this teacher, um, Solomon, whoever, this king is saying that he went searching for. And he says he goes searching in three particular places. Uh, it says wisdom is the first one, pleasure, and then he searches for it in work, doing hard, honest work. And what does he wind up saying about trying to find meaning in life in wisdom? Hmm. Um, I didn't find much there. Um, yeah. Because it's... Yeah. He's... And it's interesting because if this is Solomon, a guy who's given wisdom specifically by God... Hmm. It's intriguing. Like his whole kingship is defined by being the smart guy, the wise guy. Yeah. People came from all over to talk to him. And he says, my, my wisdom is, I tried to find meaning in that, but it's just, it's like trying to hold on to smoke. Mm -hmm. Because the more he discovered, the more he understood that he didn't understand. <laughs> it's that's it, just how all, how all knowledge works. The more you learn, the more you realize you don't actually know and i watched i watched a comedian one time and it was hilarious he was talking about how literally nothing makes any sense he was like you you think you're sitting here in a chair listening to a person but really you got to zoom out you're on a planet you think that makes sense it doesn't make sense you're on a ball of dirt hurtling through space at hundreds of thousands of miles an hour and you just don't feel it or think about it. And that little ball of dirt is suspended in infinite nothingness. And the infinite nothingness, wait for it, is getting bigger. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> and these are the kind of problems you sure. run into whenever yeah. you try to put all of your life's hope into wisdom. You're always going to brush up against that thing that you don't know. You're going to brush up where human wisdom and experience and knowledge fails or even if you have the wisdom it doesn't it doesn't help like if somebody if somebody loses a loved one it, you know you just tell them time time heals all the wounds and you rub their back they're gonna be like don't touch me that's not helpful right now yeah. wisdom can fail you at least at least especially when you put it in the center when you make your orbit about it we talk we talk about this a lot uh, in um Sermons, what, what, what do we see as being in the middle of our lives? What do we orbit everything else around? And Solomon seems to actually make it uh, wisdom or his smarts. Uh, and he makes everything else go around that. And he sees it fail very badly. <laughs> um, and then he talks about pleasure. About trying to find meaning inside of pleasure, which, I mean, if you're yeah. somebody who basically has an endless bank account, like a king, you can you get up... a shot at that. You, you can get up to whatever nonsense you want <laughs> to get up to. I, you just, sure. The, the world, I mean, as far as the Middle East goes, your very sandy, hot world uh, is your oyster. <laughs> and he talked about trying to fill himself with food 
and with wine and having pleasurable company. Uh, but he just wind, winds up saying uh, that that too is just like trying to cling on to smoke. And he winds up saying, so I hated life because what is done under the sun was grievous to me. For everything is hevel and a striving after the wind. Yeah. He throws amazing parties. Um, but as all parties do, they come to an end. Um, Monday always comes. And, and that's, that's what Solomon's kind of grasping onto here is, is and no matter what I try to do for myself as far as seeking pleasure, it, it ends. Or it, it, be, it becomes empty to me um, that, that, that Monday always comes and what, he, what we'll see him fix on to uh, later when he talks about death is um, the capital M Monday the, the last Monday final death yeah <laughs> you got 70 years right or so I think he actually says man has about 70 years and then it's over and, and it's actually not that big we, we think it's big because that's as long a life as anyone gets. And you kind of get bored living for 70 years or you start to look old. Um, but Solomon's saying, this is actually very, very small. Kingdoms rise and fall. God lives for thousands uh, of years so far. And but it's our lives are small. Yeah. And that's and he really starts to unpack time and death as yeah. he as he kind of winds down the end of his search. Uh, it says here uh, in some translations, it'll say the vanity of toil, but what he really means is just hard work. Hmm. So doing well at your job. He's going to be a good king. He's going to administrate well. He's going to handle the funds well. He is going to build things, expand portions of the city help the poor like he's going to try to do things well as a king and yet he just says of work for all of his sorrows uh for all of his days are full of sorrow he's talking about man for all of his days are full of sorrow and work is vexation even in the night his heart does not rest so work too is heaven oh yeah another another thing he says is like even if you do work hard and amass all this wealth amass every, all these things um, like a, building a business or something like that uh, eventually you die and you have to give it to someone else who didn't work for it at all and they squander it they just throw it in the trash because they didn't um, have to work to gather all this wealth or possessions and it gets ruined Hevel <laughs> yeah. and so it's once he finally exhausts all the places he can think of to work or, mm -hmm. and, to, and to look for for meaning, he finally focuses on, on time and what that means. And he goes into this big, long back and forth. And you all are familiar with it. You know, it's just a time to be born. For everything under heaven, there's a time. Oh, yeah. So a time to be born, a time to die, to plant, to take up, to kill or to heal, to break down, to build up, to weep, to laugh. And he says that everything you can possibly think of has an appointed time. There's a Beatles song about that, right? It's not the Beatles, uh, but there is a song, man. I'm there sorry. is a season turn. I'm I'm twenty. The birds, birds. There we go. See, I didn't I didn't get that band name wrong for the, <laughs> um, But he he winds up 
talking about how time can be a, a really, really big burden because he says this in chapter 3. He has made everything beautiful in its time, he, he being God, and he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from beginning to end. So we're people, and we understand that we have this little bitty bit of time on earth. Puny humans. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and, and yet we can grasp that there's yeah. something beyond that, or there should be something beyond that. And, and even, even if we do interact with God by acknowledging his eternity and everything else, we can't ever actually fully understand what he's doing or where the ship seems to be going. Uh, and you can do that on both the micro and the macro, even within our little, our little bits of lives and everything seem to go wrong. Like how everything seems to go wrong for this teacher. He's saying, I know there's going to be another day. And he talks about even in the same passage that whatever God does endures forever. So nothing can be added to it. So he knows God's got something coming down the pipe for me but I don't know what that is, and that's <laughs> troubling, and that's bothersome. Yeah, we we see that happen a lot in in Job, and we've talked about this some. But that where where this these terrible things happen to Job, and it seems to be for no reason. And when he asks God, I demand an audience with God, um, and God doesn't give him really a straight answer. He just shows him some sea monsters, uh, and then it's the book is over. Um, <laughs> It's just, we, we don't actually get to see the whole arc of the story, um, uh, at least yet. Yeah. And so that's, that's whenever he really talks about how basically everybody, not just the wise and the powerful, but everybody is stuck. Mm -hmm. Is You're just stuck with Hevel, whether you like it or not. <laughs> because he, he says that, time, which we've already talked about, and then ultimately death are going to be the great equalizers for everything. It doesn't matter who you are. It's common. You know, it's like, what are the How only two things Sunday that are, are sure in life? It's death and taxes. <laughs> and so death is always coming. And no matter what meaning you can seem to find or conjure up for yourself, death's going to come in and take it away. Well, that's a great place to end it, Nathan. Um, Thank you all. Have a nice Sunday. Um, right, but so much of that in Ecclesiastes is this uh, doom and gloom, everything stinks, um, hevel. I'm using my own language here. But it's all just no good. And I think Ecclesiastes totally could just leave us there and leave us um, to sit in that pile of dirt and mud and just say, what was me? Life stinks. Guess I'll go eat worms. Yeah. Um, but he, he doesn't. And we see some of that in the, in the, toward the end. Yeah. And I think what's, and, and before we kind of yeah. get to where the, the book ultimately, ultimately leads us. Um, sunshine. <laughs> a little teeny tiny two verses of sunshine and 12 <laughs> chapters of hevel everything is doom and gloom and yeah. meaningless uh 
there was there was one portion of this that that, that kind of I want to take a moment to kind of pry back a little bit on um, on some of the stuff in Ecclesiastes because I think there's a certain point in here where we live in a culture where everything is hyper hyper relativized, right? If you don't like what the culture is saying, you march to the beat of your own drum. You don't like it, you know, it's not even just like, you know, you come home with your hair cut with a mohawk and a nose piercing and say, I'm not using the name you and father gave me anymore, mom. <laughs> and it's not a phase. Like, it's, it's anything you can think of, you can relativize. <laughs> you can make up your own meaning to everything in the culture. And so whenever you tell people, well, then, well, then what, do we, what do we do with this lack of meaning? And say, well, you just, just make up your own meaning. Whatever feels good to you for your lifetime and that's so that just it rings so hollow because yeah. ultimately it's it's gonna go away and people say well we try to make our our mark on this life and yet what you were saying earlier time passes and everything crumbles um i surprise surprise the worship guy likes poetry um but I, my favorite poem <laughs> is a very kind of surly almost bitter poem but it's a poem just called Ozymandias and it's written by a guy named Lord Shelley and he writes and it's about King Ramses the guy who built up vast vast quantities in Egypt like half of everything in Egypt if you go and be a tourist is named after the guy like he's just the most popular pharaoh of all time and uh, the, the poem is about a tourist who goes and he walks up with the tour guide and sees a plaque. And on this big plaque, there are these big giant concrete legs coming out of it and they're broken off at the knees. And kind of a distance away, there's a half eroded away face just laying in the sand. And on this plaque, really big, uh, it says, my name is Ozymandias, king of kings. Look on my works, you mighty, and despair. And the poem ends off by noting that uh-huh. it's just an empty desert and there's nothing left. Yeah. Uh, and we can try to say that we can create our own meaning or we can try to make meaning by being altruistic. But the, the, the writer even says that that's ultimately going to go away. So one of, the biggest, one of the biggest battles right now in our culture hard work versus redistribution. Ecclesiastes even says, okay, that's fine and all, but it's ultimately meaningless because he talks about how even if Proverbs works out and God takes from the unjust and all of their earnings and then gives it to the blessed, that's meaningless Hmm. because you're always going to need more. Anything that we can think of, be it our pleasure, our identity, our our gender, our orientation, whatever it is, it's ultimately going to come up as smoke mm-hmm. or chasing after the wind. And we know that because once you're dead, it's just gone. And even if you're cool and, and mighty like Ozymandias or this or that, yeah. eventually you're going to be lost to time. Is that... Um... He says, we, we come into this world naked and the same we return. Yeah. Um, just like we see animals die. We are going to die too. Don't 
forget that, uh, the teacher says. I like that poem because, and this might be like when you explain a joke and it ruins it, um, but that, that statue says, look at my works and despair. I think was probably originally intended to say, like, look how huge my towers are. You could never build something as big as and amazing as this, you puny kings. But then when you see all of it washed away by sand and just nothing, and read that same thing, look at my works and despair, you still despair because no matter how big of a tower I build, no matter how much I gather in life, uh, whether it's wisdom, money, um, any anything like that, it all just washes away. Hevel of Hevel's smoke gone. And uh, <laughs> part of part of the reason uh, why we're going to focus a bit on Ecclesiastes is slightly um, because I, I partially asked because this is my favorite book of the Bible, don't you know? Because <laughs> everything's meaningless. Um, <laughs> You like sitting in the... I like festering and meaninglessness. Uh, <laughs> but I, I, I feel this book, uh, it, like, in my marrow. Like, it's just, this book is rough. But all at the same time, it's, it's always stood out to me just because it's... Um, I've had problems with this in my life. And not because I'm like Solomon and because I can... Uh, search out every little thing, but, um, but because I have to my limited capability in life, searched out random different things and, and tried different things. And, uh, I genuinely kind of came to this, this point whenever I was really young, because like, here's a little snapshot of my life. My life has not been hard, (laughs) right? Like, I've had a, I watched a sitcom where like something very menial happens to the main character and she starts crying and she's like, this is the worst thing that's ever happened to me. And everybody's like the worst. And she just goes, I've lived a very privileged life. Wow. And anytime I get upset about there anything, that's what I feel like. That's me. Uh, <laughs> you know, so like, I literally, I grew up, I was born across the street and then basically here I am. Um <laughs> Uh, you had these people as parents. I, I mean, that's, yes, that's but really... I had these two as parents, and they're lovely. How good can it get? Uh, <laughs> Happy Father's Day. I have very, very good, very loving parents. Like on all of my, me and my siblings, we, you take a poll, we all unanimously agree, and we have very good, stable home. They both <laughs> had stable jobs, yeah. like like average American home, quiet little neighborhood. Mom, dad, like the only thing we didn't have was the picket fence because there'd just be too much fence. The yard was too big. But like there was, you know, 2.5 children and a dog. Like 2.5? Two to three. Okay. Replacement rates. You know, like the carved, like cutout of American dream life. That was my life. I did not want for things as a kid. I really didn't. Uh, and if you've seen pictures of me where I was approximately yay big and yay round, you'll know I did not want for anything. Uh, uh, and yet, uh, I've always, um, I've had a ten- I've always had a tendency to be kind of up in my head a lot of the time. Um, 
I genuinely don't remember this at all, but like whenever I was younger, um, I remember in like fourth or fifth grade or something, we were reading the book Holes, you know, where they dig holes. And yes. uh, being like a nine or 10 year old, you know, because girls develop spatially and emotionally way before guys do. Um, apparently the teacher would ask the, would ask somebody in the class deliberately trying to get boys to engage. And she'd ask one boy, how do you think this character feels? And they'd be like, uh, sad, <laughs> you know? And then apparently, like I said, I don't remember this, but at like a parent teacher conference, this is from the word of my parents that they, the teacher would come to me and say, how do you think this character feels? And like, I would talk. And I would give, like, emotions. So for a very long time, I've been a feely internal thing. <laughs> uh, and it can uh, be to my own detriment because I, I will sit there and I will think on things and think on things and think on things until I want to fall apart. Yeah. Um, if I did not know Jesus, I would probably just go the way of the dodo bird, like, you know, H.P. Lovecraft or like Nietzsche and just go crazy, oh, okay. genuinely. Um, because at some point when I was very young in my life, I, I kind of hit this wall, this specific wall, where I was like, I have a good life. I'm not sad. I'm not depressed. Um, I just feel kind of hollow because I'm just going to get up, do some stuff, and go to bed. And I'm going to keep doing that. That's my existence. I get up, I do stuff, I go to bed, and then eventually you just die. Huh. You do that over and over and over again. And something about, you know, being so young and seeing the monotony of that for like 70 more years really, really bothered me. And it pushed me um, to a place where I almost irrevocably harmed myself. Hmm. Um, and... Uh, and thankfully I didn't and I have, you know, and I told key people in my life about it later on and, and they kept a very, very close and watchful eye on me ever since because they love me and they care about me. But it was, I, I've hit this wall in my life where everything seems pointless and meaningless and you just hate life. Not because woe is me, everything is, is despair, you know, I have... You know, it's like a country song. I lost my wife, my truck, my dog, my house. Like, I, that wasn't me. You had a nice I, I had a good life. Yeah. But just the oppression of of everything seeming to be meaningless made me genuinely kind of hate life for a little bit. Hmm. Uh, but I wasn't sad. <laughs> uh, so I, I feel this in my bones. Yeah. Um, and so whenever we we come to what the author finally tells us it's kind of underwhelming it's mm. it's very very underwhelming after 12 straight chapters of of everything is hevel and life is like trying to cling on to smoke yeah all he tells us because uh, there are two there are two different voices throughout ecclesiastes there's the preacher and then for the last about five verses or so of the book uh there's a totally different person who's the author, the person who compiled Ecclesiastes. Mm -hmm. We see him in the first verse as well, where he says, these are the words of the teacher. Yeah. And then they just jump right into it. He, 
he speaks at the very end of the book, after all this just doom and gloom and oppression of vanity, it just says the end of the matter or life or trying to find meaning in life, uh, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commands. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. And that's where we're left. Yeah. And, and like there's meaning here. So let's try to unpack, because the author clearly doesn't think life is totally meaningless, because a few different times in the book he says it's good, it's a gift from God that a man should enjoy his work and do it well. That he should enjoy his food and his company. Yeah. Um, with the very strict understanding that it's, it's going to end. So how is, how is living life with eternity in mind somehow yeah. meaningful? Yeah, that, that's the best part of that. And I think we have, yeah, we put it up. Um, this is the last few verses of the, of the book. Uh, that's the author coming in. Yeah. And he says, God's going to make everything right. He's going to judge the, the good and the evil. And ultimately it's some way of saying it's not all meaningless. It's not all going the way of the dodo. Um, it's, it's going to be made right. We so much of like this big story of the Bible that we see everywhere is is God is um, he sees the brokenness he sees the pain and he is working to redeem it. We see the Bible is this huge story of redemption. If you look at the whole scripture, that's that's one really important thing to get out of it is that God is working to make things new again. Um, and but most of Ecclesiastes or and most of the wisdom literature really steps out of the whole story of the Bible. That's what kind of sets these books apart is they're not talking about kings and kingdoms and um, trees and adultery like the rest of the Bible is. Um, it steps out and it says um, how do we live a good life? How do we see how do we find joy? How do we find meaning in this 70 years under the sun that we have because ultimately um, we're outside of the garden um, the garden of Eden where um, God is fully present with us and he's fully providing us life and giving us wisdom and we don't have that right now and the Ecclesiastes is really trying to remind us don't, don't forget that right now is not um, enough for you and we have eternity on our hearts but we die in 70 years but that doesn't mean that it's all nothing that God will be making it right this is actually the, the first book that I read all the way through as a kid um, which is strange as well um, but so much of like what I got from it in the first place was that we try to control our lives. We can we try to control these circumstances. Uh, three big things that Ecclesiastes complains about is the march of time, everything being washed away over time, um, randomness, where things seem to be unpredictable, uh, 
so many I forget how Ecclesiastes puts it. They put it like this several times, but many times I have seen the wicked man prosper. I have seen him live a long life while the righteous man dies early and he has nothing. It's it's randomness. Proverbs is saying everything goes the way it should if you follow God. Ecclesiastes not so. Um, and it reminds us we're outside of the garden and if we try to control this we're going to fail um, the last thing he complains about is death um, he says we all die and it makes everything meaningless but I think what he ultimately wants us to walk away with is um, this posture that we find at the end of the book um, the last few verses of chapter 12 is follow the commandments remember God is coming to judge everything, to make everything right. And so with what you have, hold it like this. We, we practice this posture a lot. I sit in these chairs too. Um, and we, we remember that everything that we have is a gift. We didn't earn it. Uh, it is not ours to hold on to. Um, but it is, it is something from God, and we have to be free to remember uh, God gives and God takes away and everything that he does is for our good even if it doesn't seem like it and it really hurts and is smoky it, it all we're meant to give up control of our lives and to even in our suffering even when things are bad and they're really bad they are God's, and God is for us. And that just, as, as he struggles with here, doesn't make sense to us here. But we have to remember there's a bigger picture happening. We are so small, and we don't see it. Yeah. Yep. And uh, it seems so, so very, very unhelpful to spend the entire book talking about how meaningless life is. And then the ultimate answer is to just, but enjoy life. <laughs> uh, and yet the author gives it that specific caveat of, of knowing, though, that you have to speak with God about your life. Mm -hmm. And uh, to me, it brings my mind immediately because we are outside of the garden, but the yeah. purpose of the garden was to walk with God. Yeah. Um, and so it, it brings of what does this this life actually look like and, and Jesus had a thing or two to say about it and John chapter 15 uh, he says this he says to abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine neither can you unless you abide in me I am the vine and you are the branches whoever abides in me and I in him he is that uh, he is that which bears much fruit. Mm, yep. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Mm. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch that withers. And branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples." As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. 
abide in my love. And if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be with you and that your joy may be full. And a little bit further down, it just says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give to you these things I have commanded you so that you will love one another. Hmm. And I think there's something, it seems so underwhelming, yet something kind of very, very profound about thinking that maybe the uh, maybe the whole secret to meaning in life uh, is that it's not on you to give it meaning. There's not some magic thing you have to go do to make your life meaningful. Like I, all of us kind of have main <laughs> character syndrome. Like. Everybody wants to be Luke Skywalker. Okay. Nobody wants to be just the blue elephant dude who just kind of hung out in Jabba's bar playing piano. Nobody wants, nobody wants to be that guy. <laughs> right? Nobody, you know, but we all feel like I have to find the special thing. I, I got to do hmm. something to make life worth it, to do yeah. this, do that. So I don't, there's got to be something I can do. And we scrounge around and we feel desperate. Um, hmm. But Ecclesiastes, it, it functions as a huge defeater to all of that aspiration. It, it looks for everything under the sun, everything but God, and says all of it, every bit of it is not enough. And, and so what, what we see Ecclesiastes do as serving this really negative, like terrible, awful, sad uh, function, what we see when it, when it creates this big empty hole in us, it makes a hole so big that only one thing can fill it. It's what makes the good news so good is that nothing else is good. Yeah. And so it it doesn't leave you on a point of brokenness. The book really tears you down just with the expectation that you will be built back up mm. to understand that your life has meaning because God has set eternity on your heart because you were designed to abide with God in the garden, not under the sun and meaningless toil, but with God. And God has made provision for that, as we see through the person of Jesus. And he makes room for us to abide with God once again. And that's ultimately where everything winds up going in Revelation. We wind up abiding with God again in a garden. But in the meantime, our lives are a gift. And they're meant to be lived and we're not necessarily, I mean, do good things, do awesome things, you know, Very good. have, you know, build something really great and amazing that people will remember, go skydiving, do, you know, do <laughs> or don't to the glory of God. But what Paul tells yeah. us yeah, in Colossians in uh, three, it just says, but whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him. So maybe life isn't meant to be you desperately searching for meaning, but rather God giving you meaning. Hmm. 
by making a way for you to abide with him. We see the same, sorry, where are you going? We see the same kind of uh, ending in the, at the end of Song of Songs. We saw it in the video where they end up as a couple united under a fruit tree. Um, it's supposed to be painted as like this Garden of Eden picture. Um, and that, that we're meant to be brought back to that. Um, I forgot where I was going with that, man. But, um, oh, we see the author of Ecclesiastes doesn't talk much about that, but he, he points us toward it. He points us toward the ultimate point of everything is, is to yeah, get your meaning from God, um, to not take it for yourselves. That's a lot of how Solomon is presented in his story in First Kings is he says, I don't have the knowledge of good and evil for myself. I need to receive from God. What this really important idea uh, about in the garden, what would happen if we didn't uh, take from the tree of knowing good and evil? We would have had to still know good and evil somehow because the reason we were created is to rule over creation um, and to represent God to the rest of the world. We would still need to know, have some know-how of how to do that. But what's important is if we would have relied on God for that. It talks about God walking in the cool of the day. It's not a hard jump to make that God intended to teach us uh, how to fulfill our role as we went. Um, but instead, we take it for ourselves. So we see Solomon depicted the same way in his story. He is standing there in front of the tree saying, am I going to take wisdom for myself or am I going to let God? And Solomon is one of the, the very few characters who at first pulls his hand back. And that's, that's a really important part of Solomon's life. And why he's depicted as the most wise is because he sees, I can't do it for myself. It needs to be from God. And that, that's, I can't stress that enough. Yeah. And so I'm going to... Um... There's not much more to add. <laughs> the Bible says it plainly enough, you know, that um, it's a gift from God that you would enjoy your life. But to also live that life fearing him and knowing one day you'll have to see him and give an account. But also know that he made provision for you to abide with him. And if you don't know what that looks like to abide with God through the person of Jesus, then grab David or Adam or Tisha, me, Carrie, like anybody, any of the deacons, Ethan, um, and to understand what that looks like to abide with God with the person of Jesus. Uh, but also, I, you know, we it'd be to our own detriment if we didn't point out that in the same passage that Jesus says, you know, abide with me and I with you, he also puts in that very specific line of, and I abide with you so that you may love one another. Hmm. And so that as we go about life in light of Jesus, and that that, that gives us our meaning, uh, because it's not something we do, so it's not something that can be taken away from us, that we're meant to find that meaning and to live in that meaning together. It, it pulls us out of our escapism, it, you know, to think, oh, I just live, I just live for heaven one day because Ecclesiastes says, no, you live your life now. Hmm. Um, but it also 
takes things out of your hands and says you're not, you are not in your satisfaction or ultimately not the meaning. It's greater than us. And that is the work that God has given us. So ultimately, the meaning of life yeah. is to live well by loving God and loving your fellow man. A part of, a part of the eternal life that God gives to us. We, we have to experience that now. It's not just for later when we die. It's not for, um, you know, the final end stage of, of life that we, everything is made right. We have to see it now. We have to see it in our hearts, in our lives, in our, uh, in our view of God, is that, that he's giving us life now. It's not just for later. So I think there's not a whole lot more we can add. Amen. Um, yeah, we want to invite everybody to take this moment to respond uh, if the band wants to come back up. And in this response time, just uh, uh, it's okay to grapple with Ecclesiastes and the density of it and to acknowledge the hardship of life. Uh, that things can feel meaningless and like smoke, but it's not meaningless. Thank you. Uh, that you do have meaning and it's given to you by the person of Jesus. And if you don't know what that meaning is like, then we would love to share with you. In the meantime, uh, just remember to abide with him and he will abide with you and love one another. And that's life.